utilizing, utilizing. Man, I paid a lot for that education. Now he's using big words. I like that. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's a gorgeous day, gorgeous day. I hope it's a day you enjoy. I know there's a lot going on. We've got members who are uncomfortable being out right now during the the, the, the virus problems and so forth and everything, but I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad that we can share this time together, and I pray that it's a good one for you. So it really is a good day. I was thinking how to begin this today. Exactly where do I begin with this? The ninth chapter of John is where we're going to go today for, for a moment. In the ninth chapter of John, Jesus comes across a man who was born blind. His disciples want to know why the guy is blind. Was it some sin in the family or his own that caused him to be born blind? Interesting question. Jesus said, no, that's so you can see basically God's glory at work and so forth that goes on. The man is healed of his blindness. He's confronted then later by some of the inquiring religious very religious religious leading people want to know about what he's doing and and how this came about and so forth and they want him to disown the name of Jesus claim that Jesus had nothing to do with it and so forth they they want all of that but through the long story the man is ultimately kicked out of the synagogue and so forth there's a discussion that takes place between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of that time and it has to do with blindness about being able to see and not being able to see. Basically, he says, if you think you can see and you don't want to hear me, you're going to stay blind. But if you can't see and I come to you, I give you the opportunity to see. Great message. But it's at the heart of this that, that something comes out that, that I think we need to know. It's something that's appropriate for our times and our place and our society, our culture right now that I think is, is really important. And I, I want us to see it. I think we as Christians today, I think sometimes we've been softened more than we should be. We've been softened in our approach to Jesus. We've been softened in our approach to right and wrong. I think there has been a, a lessening in a sense of the consideration that there is a right and there is a wrong and that Jesus brought the right. He brought us to see it. It's verse 39 of John 9 that I want us to notice this morning. I call the lesson for judgment because that's what Jesus said. For judgment. It says, and Jesus said, for judgment. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. That's a pretty powerful statement. Pretty hard one. You think about it a while and it's one that kind of gets to you, kind of causes you a little bit of, of trouble. The idea, I thought though Jesus came into the world to just bring blessings to us, didn't he? We think about the angelic chorus singing at his birth. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. The whole idea that's there. But you know, in the ministry of Jesus, he offered several times the idea, I didn't come just to bring comfort and peace to people. Yes, he comforted people. Yes, he brought peace to them. Yes, he healed the sick. Yes, he fed the hungry. Yes, he did all of those things. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter says he went about doing good. Yes, he did. But he also says in Matthew 10, I came to bring a sword, a sword that divides, a sword that gets to you, a sword that really touches you. And so I want us to think about that statement of Jesus, for judgment I have come into this world. For judgment. You know, there's a, rem a reminder in the writing of Paul. He states there that law exists for those who would break the law. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 9. 
Think about it. We can put forward the principles of behavior, and they will generally maintain a certain order in most lives, but not always. When left to our own judgment, our own devices, we tend to seek as easy a way or most comfortable way we can. If we're not given a specific of how to behave, then we're going to behave in the most comfortable way, the way that pleases us the most and gives us the, most level of, the greatest level of comfort that we can find. That's the way we are. We tend to be that way. If you want a good example, driving rules. Driving rules are a good example. Why in the world do we need a speed limit on the street? Why in the world should we have speed limits on the streets round about us? You know, you look at yourself, and I look at myself and say, well, I'm capable of handling whatever I need to. I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to watch out for children and, and adults, you know, and sometimes if they're people I don't like, I'll drive a little faster, and, you know, it, they won't miss them much. No. We drive with care, don't we? We try to watch out for people. We try to be courteous. You think about in traffic, sometimes in the heaviest traffic, there'll be somebody out there, another personal policy, come on in ahead of me, let you in. We try to be people who drive well. We look at ourselves and we think about our own abilities and consider that we are able to handle whatever we need to handle. But around us, there may be people of lesser abilities. That's in our minds. We may think they need the restrictions and not us. Yeah, laws exist for the ones who can't always discern right and wrong, who can't always make themselves do what they know is right, people who break the laws. And you may remember, and we've noted it a time or two in recent classes, that there is a statement made a couple of times in the book of Judges. It says in Judges 21 and verse 25, most familiarly, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Hmm. They did what they judged to be, and notice this, they judged to be right. They didn't just go out and say, hey, here's the wrong thing. I think I'll do the wrong thing tomorrow. That wasn't the way they behaved. They determined what they thought was right, and they did what they thought was right. Generally, you look at a society, you look at a culture in which we live. Most people think, I'm going to do what I think is right. It may be selfish. It may be drawn from inferior conclusions. But we tend to do what we think is right if we are not guided by some strict principle. They did what they judged to be right. It seems that there is a strong sentiment of that same idea in our society, I think, today. The difference is that we are, we definitely are a nation of laws. I'm not trying to get political, but we are a nation of laws. We've got jillions of laws. I don't know how many there are, but jillions sounded good. We've got a lot of laws, a lot of laws. You know, nationally, state-wise, uh, you know, county, you know, city, whatever. We've got laws running out our ears. Still, there seems to always be some, some individuals, some groups that want to consider themselves apart from the letter and the spirit of the law. Maybe there is even something inside of each of us that likes to consider that as an individual, I am the exception. I don't need that. Well, there's another reminder in Scripture. Go a little bit further into your New Testament to the writing of the, the Hebrew letter. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it says that there is an appointment for each of us. 
There is appointment to die and there is an appointment to judgment. Sooner or later, we face it. That's reality. It may be that we can cruise along without any regard to structure or law or limitations. It may be that we can cruise along and not notice that there's much going on that can impede us. We may disregard rules, boundaries, accounting, and even judgment. Then at some point, there does come that time of reckoning, a reckoning, you might say, of judgment. So I go back to the song that we sang before the Lord's Supper this morning. You say, boy, I can't remember that far back. Oh, we sang a song. Why did my Savior come to earth? That's an interesting question, isn't it? But begin with the first word. Because I think why is one of the most overused and most underapplied questions that we use on such a frequent basis. It begins when we're very young, we're children. And our mother or our father gives us something that we're supposed to do. You're supposed to go make your bed, sweep your floor, whatever it might be. There's some job you need to do, some behavior you need to follow. Mothers and fathers tell children to do something or that they are going to do something. And then a little child looks at mom and looks at dad and says, why? Why? And you know the response, don't you? You've heard it. We've all heard it. Mothers everywhere have given the same response. Dad's Maybe not quite as frequently, but the answer is there, and the question is why, and moms just simply say, because I said so. That's good enough. That's good enough. But little children make it clear that they don't want to do whatever it is. Why do I need to do that? And when we look at the work of God, when we look at our service to God, when we look at the workings of God, when we look at what God has done, and we look at what God calls on us to do, I think there are sometimes we just appreciate it. You look out and you see a beautiful day, and you recognize how marvelous God is. Last evening, we were coming back home. We'd been out, and we were coming back home, and the thunderstorms were building. And we drive into our neighborhood, and my wife says, look, look. She said, it's raining right over there. I said, sure is. So I turned up a street, not far from our street. We drive halfway up the block, and it's raining on half of the block. The righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> it's raining halfway down the block. It's dry down here. It's raining up here. Happens that way sometimes. So we circle around the block, come back down, come down the street. It's raining on the north end of our block, but on the south end of our block, where our house is, it's not raining. Why? Well, that's where the cloud was, all of that. I wanted to go into, that's where the righteous live, where the unrighteous, we were living righteously, we'd have rain on our street. But then it started raining at our house a little bit later. But we wonder why. Why is it this way? Why? why does it, but I think we look at God's will, and we needed the rain, and it came down in two big, tur uh, two big flows of rain. I couldn't think of the word I was trying to say. Two big flows of rain came down last evening, and watered and watered, and I thought, we needed that. We needed that. Sometimes we appreciate the beauty of what God's done, the sun that shines, the beauty of the clouds, the ray of sunshine coming through, the storm that comes through it, waters the earth. Sometimes we are amazed at the wonder and the beauty, and we appreciate what God has done. We say, isn't God marvelous? I don't think you can look at a rainbow. I think God's not marvelous. 
sometimes we just ponder why. Why? Why did God make that? Why did God make that animal the way he did? Why did he make that insect the way he did? Why did, why, why, why? There are a lot of things, and we wonder why. I've been pondering in recent days about the universe, but I won't get into that. If it's limited, what's on the other side of it? I don't know. I don't know. Why did God make things as he did? Why did he make us as limited as he did? Why, why, why? Why can be, though, why can be when we're confronted with what God wants in our lives, when we are seeing things, and I think this gets to what Jesus is saying, why can be just a diversionary tactic? I don't want to do it, so therefore I ask why. When the angel, the messenger of God comes to Gideon, Gideon says, why are you talking to me? Judges chapter 6. You know which tribe I'm from? You know which family I'm from? And you know who I am within the family? He says, I'm not the guy you should be talking to. So he's asking him, why are you talking to me in essence? So it's a divisionary tactic. He says, I don't really want to do this. Moses did the same thing, but Moses also used it as an accusation of error. After he'd gone to Pharaoh and Pharaoh had turned him away and the hardships were harder on the Israelites after Moses had let my people go, Pharaoh said, I don't know your God. I'm not going to let your people go. And he increases the hardships on the people. Moses looks to God in the fifth chapter of Exodus in verse 22 and says, Lord, why have you done this? Why have you done this? It's an accusation of error. Sometimes we really don't care much exactly why a thing is happening, but that's our question. It just is a statement, we don't like what it is, that it does happen. So let me take you back, before I get you totally lost in this, in this question. Why did my Savior come to earth? We can state correctly, several reasons are given why Jesus came into this world. John 3.16 is one of the most familiar, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came into the world because God loves us. Again and again, this is a theme in John's writing. Jesus states also in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come to give you abundant life. In the 14th chapter of John, when Philip says, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us, Jesus says, have I been with you so long? Don't you know, Philip? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I came to show you the Father. And Paul would later write in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. It's a faithful saying. He came to save sinners. Yeah, all of that. The love of God, the abundant life, to show us the Father, to save sinners, that and other things that we can draw out of the Scriptures. These are reasons why he came. But we want it all boiled down. We want it all boiled down. We want it all pointed to our personal desire. Why? And we need to look at ourselves, and we need to see ourselves within this, and we need to see ourselves very carefully and look at this and say, we want it all boiled down to our personal desire. Why did he come? What does he say here? For judgment. For judgment I came into the world. That's not a word that's foreign to us. We understand the word judgment, don't we? When a student turns in a test paper, it's for judgment. When you write a paper, turn it in to the teacher to get a grading, a judgment takes place. Right and wrong are recognized. You did this right, you did it wrong, you did it well, you didn't do it well. Judgment comes into play. But in order for there to be a judgment, there has to be a standard. 
Jesus is bringing us an understanding of something. He's bringing us a standard that we can see. He's showing us a standard. Go back to the time of Cain and Abel when Cain is confronted by God after the sacrifice is not accepted. Cain had to know the expectations. As the Lord confronts Cain, notice what he says to Cain. Genesis 4 and verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Well, what's well? Cain had to know what the Lord was talking about. There had to be a standard for him to look at. He had to see that there was something he had to reach, something he had to measure up to. In order for him to do well, there had to be a standard. It's not just doing whatever you want. It's doing what measures and meets that standard. And even where judgment is somewhat subjective, you can think of those athletic endeavors and those endeavors in which the subjective judgment of a judge, a counselor, whatever, there are still boundaries. There are certain expectations. You've got to meet this, you've got to meet that. And then beyond that, it's maybe a little bit more subjective as how you want to do it. Because objective rules draw lines of judgment. Put it into play. Put it into play here into what Jesus brings us. We understand God gave a law. He gave a law. Yes, the people manipulated that law. They turned it into what they wanted it to be. They manipulated the system that was subjected to human discretion. Some things were more important than others to them. Some things were kind of overlooked. They found ways to slide around some of the things, just the way we do with laws today. One of the reasons we got so many laws on the book is because we find ways to slide around the laws. They call those loopholes. I didn't want to use that technical legal term. But we do find ways to avoid it. They did too. They used God's word and they made their way around it, used their way around him. And so Jesus comes back and he comes in and in some of his statements he said, you know what you've heard of old, but let me explain it to you in more detail. What you've heard of old, but I say to you. On this occasion, he says, I came for judgment. I came for judgment. Now, I want you to understand I want you to understand, this is not to be confused with a judgment day. Is it involved? Yes, to some degree. But this is not to be confused with a specific judgment day. Jesus draws pictures of that, especially his latter, his latter parables, especially the one where he gives the judgment scene and the, and the goats, the sheep and the goats, sheep on the right and goats on the left and everything, and we won't go into which side of the auditorium you're sitting on this morning, but... This is not to be confused with a judgment day or a judgment scene that he's talking about here. He came to show us God. He came for judgment. He came to show us God and to see the standard of right and wrong, what is good, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. He came to show us. That's what he's saying. I came that you might see what it is, that you could understand it, that you could apply it in that way. And so, when we think about it, it comes back then to you and me. Judgment with Jesus and you. In our minds, quite often, it is a matter of what, what you see Jesus is to you that draws us in. And you think about it, and we go down the, the gambit of what people think about Jesus and what they think about who he is and how differently people see Jesus for you may see him 
you may see him as Savior. He's the remedy for sins, whether you understand or intend them or not. I mean, he saved us from our sins, whether we even know what they are or don't know what they are. We may see him as a positive influence on a society that needs a leader or someone of a positive character and so forth. You may see him as a promise that is yet to be fulfilled and maybe is still unfolding and being, and being fulfilled. You may see him as the greatest evidence of God's love as we picture him on that cross and we honor him with the bread and the blood, uh, the fruit of the vine is his blood. You may see him as the limiter of joy and personal freedom as he, he draws us in to be his and not belong to something else. But what I want to give you today in this simple statement of Jesus that may be obscured in the midst of a narrative story that, that involves so many other people and so many other things is that bold statement that's there for judgment. And that we can take from it some meaning for you and me. I want you to see him as he says, for judgment I came into this world. And I want us to know some meaning of that. Because what he did is he came that we might be able to see the difference between right and wrong. We might look to him and understand that he's showing us God, that he's showing us what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. He's showing us the character that is to be lived within God's people. Not just an arbitrary system of do's and don'ts, but a life that is lived with honor, with dignity, with correctness, in spite of what's going on around us to be able to see the difference between right and wrong. I want you to see him as the opportunity of hope. I want you to see that in the midst of seem a seemingly unanchored world, and a world that surprises us every day with, with the, next, the next venue of problems, the next thing that's coming our way. I want you to see him as hope. There is a realization of hope. That there is something above and beyond what's going on in our world and in our times. There's something above and beyond the differences that we, we deal with with one another. There is something larger at that. And there is an opportunity of hope that doesn't disappoint, as Paul writes in Romans 5. And I want you to see him as the one to help us turn toward the better and the abundant life. Not only do we see him as that hope, but we see him as the example. We see him as the giver. We see him as the promise. We see him as the one who gives us a better and abundant life. That there is a better way to live. There's something better than just fulfilling the, 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 the desires of the belly within us. To help us toward a better as he says, an abundant, overflowing life. If you listen to the, the words of the psalmist at the end of that great psalm, he tells us he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But what has he said? My cup overflows. A better and an abundant life. And I want you to see him as the one that challenges us with clarity. He challenges us with clarity. There's nothing lost in this. There's nothing hidden in this. It's not something we can't understand. It's not something we need somebody to give us great descriptions and, and, and all because we can see it. We can see it in him. We can understand what he is. Yes, there's more we can learn, but 
we can see what life is. There's the clarity of life before God. He said, I'm here to do my Father's will. There's a clarity that is there that's missing in so many other lives. Not a personal agenda of selfishness, but an agenda of doing with clarity a life that is lived before God. With that in mind, I want to give you one more verse. One more verse. It's one that I think I didn't discover for a long time, but it became one of my favorites. It's the 17th verse of John chapter 3, which simply tells us that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. When we hear the word judgment, we think about condemnation. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that a marvelous thing to consider? He didn't come here just to show me how wrong I am. He came to show me what I could have. In him. So if I've not made it clear, if I've not made it clear this morning, judgment is a good thing. It truly is a good thing. When we wrap together all the reasons he came into the world, it well fits with what he simply says here. When you combine it all, when you bring it all together, all the love, all the opportunities, all the promises, all the things that are there, it fits with what he said. Because what does he say? For judgment I come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who just think they see may be made blind. Wow. Judgment is a great divider. But at the same time, it is the greatest of promises. You know, there is not a society that truly exists without rules, without boundaries, without judgment, without right, and without wrong. Jesus said, I've come to give you the best of that. I've come with judgment, and we are the beneficiaries of that. This morning, let us sing a song of encouragement and invitation. Maybe there's someone who does need to respond this morning. If you do, let us provide that opportunity for you. It's the will of God, we believe. We do it, we do it consistently as we meet together because we want everyone to remember. We want everyone to know. We want to be reminded, and we want to provide that opportunity as well as God gives us that privilege. May we share that with you this morning. If someone needs to respond to the invitation to be baptized into Christ and you consider that, let us help you with that this day. If you have another need to make known, let us help you with that as well. But let this be a time and invitation if you need to come. Please do so. While we stand and sing a song together.